Uh, so let's go ahead and, and get into the message that we have. Last Sunday, I invited you to join me on a journey of repentance. And this journey, it actually lasts from last Sunday all the way until Easter, which is still about five weeks, six weeks away. So we continue down this, rent, this Lenten road together. Last week, in, in conversations I had with people and just some things that went on, I felt like the, the Spirit was moving. Something was started. The Holy Spirit wants us to explore and to really search, to figure some things out, to travel down this road, because this road, this journey, is a journey that leads to life. It is a path that leads to wholeness, healing, freedom, and even to forgiveness. There was a little girl, and she had a great desire to, to join a particular church. And so the pastor, in a conversation with her, asked her if she had experienced a change of heart. And she answered, yes. Well, were you a sinner before, he asked, and she said, yes. Are you a sinner now? Again, she answered, yes. So he asked her, well, then, what's the difference? And she thought about it for a moment, and then she said, before I was converted to Christ, I was a sinner running after sin. I am now a sinner running away from sin. So I think that right there is a pretty good definition of repentance. Let me give you another one, not quite so easy. Repentance. The inward change of mind, affections, convictions, and commitment rooted in the fear of God and sorrow for offenses committed against him, which when accompanied by faith in Jesus Christ results in an outward turning from sin to God and his service in all of life. Now you may not have followed with all that, but we'll get some more of it as we work our way along and stuff like that. You see, at the very heart of repentance is this whole idea of change, of heading one way and then stopping and, and turning and going the other way. And it's a difficult one for this reason is why we take this journey of repentance. It's not always easy to do that. It's a, it can be a difficult journey. It's all about being changed from our sinful actions and our sinful tendencies, and turning toward God. Now, last week, we began this journey by gathering, and, and we, at the end, we, we celebrated communion. We observed the, the Lord's Supper during the Last Supper, remembering Jesus' death and his resurrection for us. The point of all of that was to try to bring us back, to have us once again stand at Jesus' feet, well, he suffers and he dies and, and to contemplate and to think about that so that we are reminded that sin, you know, sin is a big deal. Sin destroys. Sin brings death. Sin kills our souls and it deadens the life that the Holy Spirit longs to, to fill us with, that the Holy Spirit longs to give us. And I remind us of that because while we know it in our heads, for many of us, that doesn't always translate into reality. Yeah, we know that sin is a bad thing, but somehow we act as if it's not a really big deal. You know, a little lie, no harm done. 
a measure of pride? Well, don't I deserve it? Entertaining a lustful thought? No big deal because it's only in my head. Internet pornography, sharing personal things about others, being greedy, covetous. Well, they, they don't really hurt anyone. Everyone does it. I'm only human and I deserve a little bit of pleasure. I won't get caught and even if I do it, I won't get in trouble. You see, that bling brings us to our two through today. Our scripture is actually found in Romans chapter 6, verses 2 through 14. I'm going to ask if you would to stand. Julie, you get a reprieve. Alice, you get a reprieve. You can stay seated, Alice. You can stand up if you want to. If you can't stand, then by all means, just stay seated. It's all right. Here's Romans chapter 6, begin at verse 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness." For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Thank you. you. May be seated, and may the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Now, those truths, that information contained in there, that's incredibly good stuff. We're not slaves. We are not powerless. We are not helpless in the face of sin. You know, we all fight those battles, all have those things that maybe we regret, all those habits that at times have us feeling like we are completely enslaved by them. But the truth is, sin shall no longer be your master. The fact is that you are dead to sin, and you are now alive in God. That truth is incredible. Do you realize that the battle, it has already been won? But See, that's, that's what many of us would say next. We would say, yeah, but, no buts, no exceptions. The truth of Scripture is that holiness is not only possible, it is essential. 
sin is conquered. Sin is defeated. The old self was crucified with Jesus so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. That right there is great news. That is the message of the cross, the message of the empty tomb. See, it's not about us not going to hell. It's about us being freed right here, right now, from the power of sin, from the power of hell. On this earth. Okay, you say. Yeah, that's, that's what Romans 6 says, but it sure doesn't play out that way in my life. The reason is because of a lack of repentance. Yeah, there, there are other factors, I get it. Other things that impact our pursuit of holiness. Absolutely, they're there. And yet, at the, the very heart, the reason that our lives remain mired in sin is always a lack of repentance. Always, in every case. You know, sin, it only continues to have its hold over us because we have not completely repented. We have not had that inward change of mind, affections, convictions, and commitment, rooted in the fear of God and sorrow for offenses committed against him, which when accompanied by faith in Jesus Christ, results in an outward turning from sin to God and service for all of life. Basically, we have not surrendered. Not 100% surrendered those areas of our lives to God and allowed his spirit into them cooperated with God's desire and his efforts to change us and to make us new. Need to choose words very carefully. Repentance is about surrender, about admitting our helplessness and turning to God for his spirit to change us and then cooperating with God in his work. Repentance, it is about death to sin. It is about death to self. It is about making a choice to turn away from sin and to turn toward God. Our choice, get this, it's simply one of orientation. Will you be turned to God or will you be turned away from him? The work of crucifying the old self, of the new birth of this new self as a holy child of God, that, that work has, has already been done by God. It's all done by God. There's a danger that we start to feel like somehow we are in control. That somehow if we would just somehow do that, that work of repentance, then we would be able to, to break the pole of sin, and then we would be able to live this holy life. The lie is that repentance means that we do the changing. That somehow we are able to muster our own will, our own self-control, and that we change our sinful ways. And then that lie, it extends. And it says that when we do all of that, then God will love us and that God will accept us. And when we believe that lie, when we buy into that lie, 
then we get trapped even further and further into the hold, into the, the grip of sin. And it grows tighter and tighter around us. We try and we try and we fail and we fail. And we begin to believe that we will never be loved by God because we're never going to be able to earn his love and acceptance. See, in the, the very root of that lie is that we are in control, is that somehow we are in charge, that somehow we need to do it. You can personalize that and say that somehow I am in charge, I am in control, that somehow I need to do it. And if we recognize that as a lie, then what is the truth? Repentance is surrender. Repentance is admitting our helplessness toward God. It is us making one choice, to turn away from sin and to throw ourselves on God and before God and on his mercy and on the truth that he has revealed to us. To choose to say before God and, and everyone else that I am helpless, I am unable, I surrender to you, my Lord God, and I let you be in control. And then that is when the inward change of mind and affections and convictions and commitment begin as we allow the Holy Spirit control and then the outward change begins to happen. Christian author, one of my favorite Christian authors, Max Lucado, he tells the story of a time where he accidentally unplugged his freezer in Brazil. It's in the, the heat of summer, and he goes away on a seven-day trip. Yeah, you're already using your imagination. Follow along with this. He comes back, and this is what he writes. What is the best way to clean out a rotten interior? I knew exactly what to do. I got a rag and a bucket of soapy water, and I began cleaning the outside of the appliance. I was sure the odor would disappear with the great shine, and so I polished, and I buffed, and I wiped. And when I opened the door, the freezer was revolting. No problem, I thought. I know what to do. The freezer, it needs some friends. I'd stink, too, if I had the social life of a machine in a utility room, and so I threw a party. I invited all of the appliances from the other neighborhood kitchens. I was sure some good social interaction would cure the inside of my freezer. But I was wrong. I opened it up, and the stink was even worse. Now what? I bought a Mercedes stickers, and I stuck it on the door. I painted a paisley tie down the front. I put a Save the Wells bumper sticker on the rear and installed a cellular phone on the side. The freezer, it was classy. It was stylish. It was cool. I splashed it with cologne. I gave it a credit card for clout. Do you think any of that worked? I could only think of one other option. My freezer needed some high-voltage pleasure. After a few days of supercharged after-hours entertainment, I opened the door and I nearly got sick. He continues and writes, says, I know what you're thinking. 
The only thing worse than Max's humor is his common sense. Okay, we can all agree with that. Who would concentrate on the outside when the problem is on the inside? Do you really want to know? A homemaker battles with depression. What is the solution suggested by some well-meaning friends? Buy a new dress. A husband is involved in an affair that brings him as much guilt as it does adventure. The solution, change peer groups. Hang out with people who don't make you feel guilty. A young professional is plagued with loneliness. His obsession with success has left him with no friends. His boss gives him an idea. Change your style. Get a new haircut. Flash some cash. Case after case of treating the outside while ignoring the inside. Polishing the case while ignoring the interior. And what is the result? The homemaker gets a new dress and the depression disappears for a day, maybe. And then the shadow returns. The husband, he, he finds a bunch of new buddies who sanction his adultery and that result, well, there's peace, at least until the, the crowd is gone and he's alone. Then the guilt is back. The young professional, he, he gets a new look and people notice until the style changes. And then he has to scurry out and buy more stuff so that he won't appear outdated. The exterior polished, the interior corroding, the outside altered, the inside faltering. See, one thing is clear. Cosmetic changes are only skin deep. Jesus actually addressed this a little bit. He's talking to the Pharisees, and he calls them. He says, they're like a bunch of whitewashed tombs. They look great on the outside, but they're dead, and they're rotting on the inside. Last week, we talked about this first step of repentance as remembering Jesus' sacrifice. Key word there would be sacrifice. The sacrifice on the cross, being broken by the cost of our sin, which he so freely bore on the cross. Here's the second one. Surrender. Only God can change the inside. Only the Holy Spirit has the power to enter in and to clean out the rot, the stench, the filth. Only Jesus can forgive and set us free. But get this, he will not do it unless we let him, unless we invite him in. And that is why we can go no further on this journey of repentance unless we will surrender. I don't know how many of you have a, a military background or an understanding of military things, but imagine for a moment you are a soldier. My sister looks up at me. She was in the National Guard for a while. You are a soldier. You're in a fierce battle, but you are hopelessly outmatched. There's no retreat. There's no escape. There are only two choices. You surrender or be killed. To surrender, it means to lay down your weapons, to stop fighting, to admit that you are powerless, 
to give yourselves up to the hands of a superior power, to throw down your weapons while you're looking down the barrel of someone else's gun. You see, to a soldier, surrender, it doesn't look like a very good option, does it? Even our movies, our war movies, if you watch the war movies, we make heroes out of those who refuse to surrender. You know, they fight and they fight and they fight. They're going to fight to the death. But what if they are fighting the wrong battle? What if not only is the battle wrong, but the fight is to enslave people, not to set them free? What if the fight is for evil, for hate, for oppression? Then is surrender a good thing, a good option? Then do we not think that those fighting should give up their evil cause? Surrender to a good general? One who can set them free? Free from the evil and, and help to train them to, to fight for good? You see, that is, that is where we are at. That's where each and every one of us are at. We stand in the battle for the control of our lives. And we have a choice, only one choice. We can live in our own strength, which leads to death, or we can surrender to God and let him be our Lord and our Savior. Let him bring about the, the transformation to transform us from the inside. Let him give us life and victory. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, he writes, I think that many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that were an obvious nuisance, we're inclined to feel, although we don't really say this, that ah, we're good enough now. He has done all that I really wanted him to do. We should be obliged if he would leave us alone. But the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. Imagine yourself as a living house. Okay, I put a pause for a moment so you can think of what kind of house you are. And God comes in, and he's going to rebuild the house. He's going to do a little bit of a remodel. At first, perhaps, you understand what he's doing. You know, he's, he's fixing the drains that are right, getting them so that the leaks stop in the roof, so on. And you knew that those jobs needed doing. And so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. He does, it does not make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. See, you thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come in and live in it himself. And as I was preparing, as I was rereading through this, in many ways, this is really elementary. It's fairly basic, fairly easy. The Apostle Paul might say, ah, this is all just spiritual milk. But when you read through Romans chapter 6, verses 2 through 14, your mind's like, boom, that's, that's hard to understand. And yet, many of us are not really there. 
We have not surrendered. Total, 100% surrender. Or if we have, we only surrender, you know, those one or two sins that were obvious nuisances. You know, the big things, the, the things that people know about. My anger issue, which flares up and people see it all over the place. God, would you deal with that? Yeah, maybe there's something else in there. We put a halt on the more extensive renovation because we really haven't allowed Jesus to be the foreman. We might let him be a tradesperson and come in and do one or two little things, but we don't want him calling the shots, you know, making decisions, picking the colors. We want to stay in control. I want to stay in control. I know that's true for me at times. Let me finish with this thought. As long as you and I remain in control, our lives will be a mess. We'll lose the battle. Sin will reign. We will be powerless. And we will be barely alive. Surrender. 100% complete, total surrender. Surrender is good. Surrender is worth it. Surrender is the next step to repentance. And it's time to decide. But only you can make that decision.